Well, good morning. You know, uh, all of us, at least I, maybe when you're watching TV, there's usually a movie or two or three that if it's on and it's replaying, even though you've maybe seen it two or three or four times, you just have to stop and, and watch, uh, watch it for a little bit. And one of those movies for me is the movie Braveheart. Remember that movie? Uh, maybe 15 years old or so, uh, starring Mel Gibson, where he plays the character William Wallace, a, a real guy who, a legendary warrior and fighter for the Scottish people in their battles for independence uh, against the, uh, the English and the British. Uh, a lot of reasons that that movie resonates with me as a guy. I mean, there's there's, there's the, the bravery and the courage. Um, you know, they have to wear cool face paint, which is kind of neat. Um, there, there's uh, sacrifice. There's there's love. There's there's loyalty. There's betrayal. Uh, and of course, the theme that runs through the whole movie, the point of the battle and the struggle and the fighting is their desire for freedom. Right. Uh, he has this great speech in front of his troops and talking about freedom. And, and of course, in his dying breath, he, he yells out freedom. Uh, it resonates with us because we all want freedom. I mean, we don't, we don't have these battles anymore, at least in our country. But there are times in our life when we want greater freedom. For instance, when you're, when you're a teenager and you have this very natural desire to sort of differentiate yourself from your parents. And you look forward to the day when you're independent and you're an adult uh, and you have a little bit more freedom. Or perhaps you're in debt and um, you look forward to the day when you can pay off that debt. It gives you more freedom. Or maybe you're stuck in a, in a, in a job or a position in life or a relationship that's dysfunctional and you yearn for freedom from that situation. Well, in our passage today, we find some people who, in a very real sense, need freedom. They desperately need freedom, but they don't realize it. Let's take a look again. John chapter eight is we're continuing our, our walk through the New Testament in the community Bible experience. We have another week to go this past week. We went through first and second Peter, Jude and the gospel of John, which is one of my, if not my favorite books in the Bible. And let's take a look again at John chapter eight, the passage that Alicia read just a second ago. And before we jump into verse 31 and following just a, a little bit of an overview of what comes earlier in this chapter, that always is helpful to, to for us you know, when we do that. And at the very beginning, there's this famous story uh, from the Bible. Uh, Jesus disarms an angry crowd of of people who men who have gathered around a woman who has been caught in adultery and have stones and they're going to stone her to death in public. And Jesus comes upon them and and he asks them, he says, if anybody or tells them, if anybody is here is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And remember what happens? It says the men begin to drop their stones and, and walk away. And it says the older ones did it at first, probably because they had a little bit more life experience, a little more self-awareness about their own mistakes and sins. And the younger ones drop the stones and they walk away. And it's just Jesus and the woman standing there. And Jesus asks her, woman, is there no one here to condemn you? And she says, no one. They've all left. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus' point there at the beginning of this chapter is that we're all sinners in need of grace. And Jesus offers us all forgiveness through faith in him. And then the next section, before we get to the end of the chapter that we'll be looking at, it begins in verse 12 and runs through verse 30. And there's another very specific theme that runs through those verses. Six different times, Jesus uses the word Father, capital F. Hang on to that because we'll come back to that significance a little bit later. And then in verses 31 through 47, as we begin with verse 31, Jesus makes an incredible offer to to these listeners and to all of us as well, an offer of freedom. Verse 31. 
to the Jews who had believed him. So these are not skeptics. They believe him to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Those are often quoted words. Um, they've been engraved in stone all in all sorts of famous and important buildings around our country. Uh, they've been framed and hung in courtrooms. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Sounds profound, inspiring, powerful. But the very first people who heard Jesus say these words, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, took issue with them. In fact, they're offended. They're insulted. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? In other words, what are you talking about, Jesus? We don't need freedom. We're already free. What do you mean you're going to, we need to be set free? Which is an interesting reaction when you know the history of, of the Israelite and Jewish people up to this point. Because for the past several hundred years, they had spent most of that time in slavery, at least under the thumb of another nation. Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians. And during the life of Jesus, now the Romans are in power. So I, I don't think the Jews in this passage are saying that they're free politically from Rome. They weren't. They were not in denial about that. In fact, they, they desperately wanted to be free from Rome. And that's what many of, the, of, of their people believe that the Messiah would come and do, that, that he would come and he would set them free from their oppressors, their political oppressors. But Jesus had a different kind of liberation, a different kind of freedom in mind. Something that they didn't want anything to do with. And the reason they were reacting so strongly to Jesus' words about freedom here is that to find freedom, we must begin by admitting that we are in slavery to sin. Listen again, verse 33. We are descendants of Abraham and have never been in bondage to anyone. The real reason they react so strongly to Jesus' words is spiritual self-sufficiency. We're descendants of Abraham. We're God's chosen people. We don't need to be set free spiritually. Ray Sedman writes about a time, a pastor and author, uh, when he was tra- traveling in Dallas, Texas, and he, um, he drove right past Texas Stadium, where the Cowboys used to play before AT&T Stadium was built uh, five, six, seven, eight years ago. Um, it's a unique stadium. It, it wasn't completely open, but it wasn't completely closed. It had a big hole in the roof right over where the game was played. The spectators were covered from the elements, but the players were not. And when Stedman noticed that unique feature, he asked someone why it was designed this way. And he was told, so God can watch his favorite team. Okay. If you're a Cowboys fan, you know what I'm talking about. That's the way that many Cowboys fans might feel about the team. We're not only America's favorite team, but we are. We're God's favorite team. And that's what the, the Jewish people were, were, the listeners here were We're expressing, we're God's favorite people. We're God's chosen race. And there's nothing wrong about being God's chosen people, right? 2 Peter 1.9 describes followers of Christ, the body of Christ, as God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Which is incredible, right? We should be excited about that. That is our identity in Christ, But the problem with the Jewish listeners in this passage 
was that they began to believe that they were acceptable to God because of their heritage. And we are never accepted by God because of who our ancestors were. We are never accepted by God because of our pedigree, our position, our power, our popularity. We are accepted by God because of faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. So anyhow, they, they knew that Jesus was saying that, that they were not free in their convictions, their thoughts, their hearts. He was saying that they weren't free in their relationship with God the Father. And they don't like that one bit. Jesus, and to paraphrase, Roman authorities may collect taxes and enforce laws, but they do not rule our hearts. We've always been free to follow and worship God as we have chosen. What do you mean we're not free? I mean, just think about it this way. You go to work tomorrow or to school or or wherever, and you turn to one of your coworkers or your classmates or your customers, and you say, you know what? Jesus says that you are a slave to sin and you need to be set free. You know, some of them might respond like this. What do you mean? I'm free. I have my own house. I have a car. I have a job. I've got money in the bank. I can move about freely. What do you mean I need to be set free? Jesus goes on in verse 34. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In other words, Jesus is saying he has come to set us free from something that is at the very core of our being as human beings. The, the, this crushing power, this crushing problem, this entity called, called sin. You know, we often think of sin as bad thoughts, bad actions, bad words. And that's true to a point. But the problem is, is that there's going to be disagreement among people about what constitutes bad, right? You know, um, our eighth graders are going through a confirmation class. I'm not sure if they've done this yet or not, but at some point they will. They'll be asked this question, what is sin? And the answer will be, sin is everything in word and in deed and thought, which is contrary to the will of God. Everything in word, deed, or thought that is contrary to the word of God is sin. And, and, And Jesus... God tells us in the Ten Commandments that he that he hates lying, cheating, anger, envy, stealing, lust, pride, selfishness. And so Jesus is saying that anyone who does these things is a slave to sin. I mean, who here has never, ever cheated, gotten angry for the wrong reasons, been envious, been lustful, proud, selfish, sullen? The Bible tells us that we, because we are fallen human beings, that we can become enslaved by sin. Think of it this other way. Another definition of sin is that sin is anything that keeps us from becoming who and what God has created us to be. If that's true, conversely, a good definition of true freedom is true freedom is being able to be all that God has created us to be. In his book, Teaching the Elephant to Dance, James Belasco describes how trainers will shackle young elephants with heavy chains that are connected to these big, thick stakes that are embedded, embedded deeply in the ground. Uh, in that way, the elephants learn how to stay in place, because if they try to train them when they were older, of course, the elephants would be strong enough. They could just pull that stake up easily and just walk away. But because they are conditioned when they're younger, their movements are limited. With only a a small metal bracelet around their foot attached to nothing, they stand in place. Not even close to what they've been created to be. That's how sin works. 
It conditions us to walk around in the same old ruts, the same self-destructive patterns. It limits our movement. It squelches our growth and our creativity. It keeps us from becoming what God has created us to be. I mean, elephants are the most powerful animals that walk on land. They can pull up trees. They can crush a lion. Yet when conditioned by these trainers, they're content to exist as a pathetic shadow of what they could be. And far too many of us as Christians have a similar existence. I mean, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do amazing, incredible things. Jesus himself said of his followers that they would do even greater things than he did when he walked the earth. We have the power of God available to us and within us. And of all people who walk the earth, Christians should be the most free. And yet when we allow sin to master us, we get stuck and we become confined to a small circle of influence and we don't grow and it keeps us from becoming all that God has created us to be. So to find freedom, we must catch a vision for what and who we are created to be and then tap into the power that God has given us available through his word and through his Holy Spirit. Okay, remember back at the beginning, I mentioned that earlier in John 8, the word Father, capital F, had been used six times. Well, if you look on ahead in the verses through the rest of the chapter, Jesus refers to God the Father again and again a number of times. And when you, when you look at it and boil it down, really, Something that's happening is here that Jesus and the Jews who are listening are having this ongoing debate over who their father is and who his father is. And why is Jesus emphasizing God as father so much here? And what's its connection with the issue of freedom and slavery? Look at verses 35 and 36. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, capital S, denoting Jesus as the Son of God, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes so that we can have a, a different kind of relationship with God the Father. He comes so that instead of being slaves to sin without a permanent place in God's family, we can be instead children, sons and daughters, belonging to God's family forever, children who are set free to become all that God has created them to be. And that freedom comes only through the Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, when he sets us free, we will be free indeed. And so to find freedom, we must understand who it is that brings us true freedom, Jesus Christ. Again, many of the, the Jewish people and leaders, especially during this time, had been relating to God through their spiritual heritage. The fact that they were descendants of Abraham, who was a, a great man of faith, was important to them, as it should have been. Yet they left it there, and that became the basis for their righteousness, not their faith in God. And here was how their logic would have worked. Abraham had been a child of God. We're Abraham's children, therefore, i.e., we are children of God. You know, many people today can fall into the same way of thinking. Their parents or grandparents were people of faith. So they just assume that they, too, have the same privileges and, and relationships that the older generation had. It's sort of a, a vicarious faith. But the Bible is very clear that we must have our own personal faith in Jesus Christ, our own experience with God. Jesus insists on this in John chapter 3. You must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God. We cannot live our lives spiritually through somebody else's experiences. 
And it can never provide the power for us to be set free from the slavery of sin. I mean, how many of us here know what it is to struggle with a a bad habit, whether it's controlling your temper or losing patience or trying to lose weight or stopping smoking or stopping swearing or, or, or stopping lying or whatever it might be, thinking of others before yourselves. We all at times struggle. We know what it is to struggle with a, a bad habit or, or bad attitude. We all know what it is to want to change but find it next to impossible. But Jesus tells us that to begin, it must begin, that, that freedom must begin by embracing the truth about who he is and about who we are and admitting our need to be set free. Verse 37. Jesus says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. That's interesting because you have no room for my word. In other words, they reject Jesus teaching that they need to be set free. They deny their need for a a savior. Spiritually, they're saying we're just fine. We're okay." And when Jesus tells them that they aren't and that they're doing things wrong, And even the the right things they're doing, they're doing for the wrong reasons. When Jesus tells them that they weren't fine, they become so angry and offended that they want him dead. And then as if they're not angry enough, listen to what Jesus says in verses 43 and 44. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's wishes. Yikes. Jesus Sure knew how to make friends and influence people, doesn't he? They saw themselves as God's chosen people. And here Jesus says that their father's the devil. There's a story about a guy named Dennis from Katy, Texas. He was running behind one day before a trip and he needed his suit dry cleaned. Same day dry cleaning. And he remembered on the other side of town, there was a, a store with a huge sign out front that said one hour dry cleaners. So he drove over there filled out the tag, and he tells the clerk, I need this in an hour. She said, well, uh, there's going to be a problem here because I can't get it back to you until Thursday. This was Tuesday. I thought you did dry clean in an hour. She says, no, that's, that's just the name of the store. <laughs> the store's name didn't match its identity. At the end of the passage, that's what Jesus is saying. Your name doesn't match your identity. You say you're children of Abraham, but if you were children of Abraham, you would open me with with, uh, arms open wide. You would welcome me that way. If you were children of God, you would love me and accept my teaching. What you do reveals to whom you belong. All of your proud claims of spiritual heritage are worthless if your hearts are filled with murder and lust and envy and jealousy and hate. Jesus says you are not God's children. You come from another source. And Jesus drives his point home in verse 47. He who belongs to God, hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And Jesus comes full circle. Remember how he started the section? If you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. If you belong to God, if you are a child of God, you will listen, you will hear, you will receive God's, Jesus' words, and that hearing will lead to understanding, and that understanding will lead to action. What we do reveals to whom we belong. And this is where the freedom that we have in Christ can be fully realized in our lives. There's a direct connection between obeying Jesus' teaching and freedom. I'm not talking about being our salvation, saving ourselves, but between obeying Jesus' teaching 
and freedom. Because a little bit of obedience leads to a little bit of freedom. But wholehearted obedience leads to great freedom. And freedom comes from hearing and obeying Jesus' teaching. And so when we hear the truth about our need for a Savior and we respond, we're set free from sin and receive eternal life. And when we hear the truth about our responsibilities to others, when we hear about the reconciliation and forgiveness made possible through the cross, we're set free to serve people and love people, not use them, and to live in peace and not in antagonistic or hostile relationships. When we hear the truth about his plans and purposes for our lives, we are set free to become the people that we want to be and are created to be. And when we hear the truth about the power unleashed at the cross, we can be set free from self-destructive actions and thoughts. And finally, when we hear the truth about who God the Father is and how much he loves us, and that we've been called his children, we are set free to live by grace and not by fear. And so finally, to find freedom, we must follow Jesus' teachings. But for some people, this thought of freedom can be a little bit frightening or disorienting. Because we can get so familiar with dysfunctional ways of living or relationships. It's hard to think about change. And we end up fighting the very freedom that we are designed to enjoy. But Jesus tells us there is nothing to fear. That he came to give us abundant life. Satan came to rob and steal and destroy. But Jesus came to give us abundant life. And that freedom has been purchased by his blood shed on the cross. From the great hymn, O for a thousand tongues to sing. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Listen to Jesus' words. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, the Christ, your son, who came to set us free. We thank you that Jesus is not only the way and the life, but he is also the truth. And so, Father, we come to Jesus in faith and we ask that he would help us to become the people that you've created us to be. That, we, that he would help us to become the, to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we confess to you that we are that we struggle with sin, that we're slaves to sin, but yet, Lord, you've come to set us free. So help us to, to know that freedom, to experience that power in our lives. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.